You're listening to Politics Weekly. To uh, be big underdogs uh, in the race uh, for the uh, the presidency. One of them is uh, joining me today. We can survive all those systems. What's going to happen if you legalize it completely? Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. Welcome back to Politics Weekly. Uh, I am here with returning guest Omar Yacobi. Thank you for uh, joining us again, Omar. My pleasure. Uh, so, a uh, couple things, uh, because last week um, wasn't a news episode, it was an episode, but that was more so an In Washington special um, when uh, we talked about stuff um, but, uh, but, uh, and if, if you guys are interested, you can listen to my heated, heated exchange with, uh, Marty Barron, the editor in chief of the Washington Post in that, uh, episode. Um, but, uh, since then there have been a couple of, uh, there are a couple of news stories, uh, which we might get to, but, uh, if we have time, but, uh, for example, North Carolina, former North Carolina Senator Kay Hagan died. Uh, J- uh, former Michigan Congressman John Conyers died. Um, uh, California Congresswoman Katie Hill resigned. Uh, and uh, ISIS leader uh, uh, and uh, ISIS leader uh, Bakar. Uh, let me get his full name up because it's hard to pronounce his name. Uh, let me see. Um, but uh, Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi uh, was killed by uh, troops. So I don't know. Are there any uh, any of those stories you want to quickly touch on, Omar? Uh, well, the, the death of the ISIS leader, I, I just remember standing out because of the sharp difference in reaction between President Obama and President Trump, how they... Uh, dealt with it. I, I, I think Trump kind of spiked the football a little bit. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that's all I really have to say about that. All right. Um, what are your thoughts on um, another big story? What were your thoughts on the resignation of uh, Katie Hill? Because a lot of, that's gotten a lot of uh, mixed reaction. A lot of people said it was the right thing to do. A lot of people said there was a double standard. What are your thoughts? Blankenship, uh, the former CEO of, uh, uh, let's see what, um, so Don Blankenship, if you remember, Don Blankenship was a candidate uh, for uh, pre- for U.S. Senate uh, in Michigan uh, in uh, 2000 uh, and uh, and uh, 18, he was a Republican candidate. He lost the Republican nomination after uh, Trump endorsed both of his opponents. Um, he was also the, uh, the CEO uh, of a large um, 
He's also the CEO of a large uh, oil company. He was the CEO of Massey Energy Company, which was one of the largest coal companies in the United States. Uh, he has announced that he will be challenging Donald Trump for the presidency on the Constitution Party line, meaning he will be launching a third-party bid for the presidency. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, he, he's certainly a wild card. I mean, I, I just see looking through Google here, he has a conviction. <laughs> uh, but I don't know how much he will actually move the needle. I, I think it's a bit ironic that a, a coal executive is entering the race, given Trump's coal-friendly stance in office. Um, so may, I don't know, maybe that will give him some uh, credo to push back against Trump and, and some of his worst elements. Uh, it, it's just a crazy year for politics. We'll have to see how things turn out. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, move on. Uh, so uh, Election Day was this Tuesday. Uh, it was considered a generally uh, it was considered a generally uh, um, favorable year for Democrats uh, um, in the uh, in Virginia. Democrats took back both uh, of the uh, of the state legislatures uh, for the first time uh, in over thirty years, making this uh, making Virginia now a Democratic trifecta. Uh, and in Mississippi. Uh, miss or sorry, in Kentucky, Democrats also upset it in a state Donald Trump won by thirty points, uh, by uh, by by narrowly defeating uh, the incumbent governor uh, Matt Bevin, who is a Republican. He was defeated, or he appears to have been defeated, by uh, by Democratic Atter- Kentucky Attorney General Andy Bashir. Um, however, Bevin is uh, re- uh, refusing to concede as of this moment and is de- uh, demanding a recount. Um, uh, uh, right now, the results show him uh, trailing Bashir by about by a little over five thousand ballots. Um, meanwhile, in Kentucky, uh, Republicans managed to hold on. Uh, Tate Reeves defeated Jim Hood by a six-point margin. Uh, what are your thoughts on the results? Um, I mean, I, I would have liked to have seen a bigger repudiation of Trump in Kentucky, uh, but, you know, the fact that it was that close, it just goes to show. Uh, I mean, I, it could have been a, a repudiation of Trump. It could have also been a reaction of Kentucky voters against the, the loss of their Obamacare exchange. Uh, I, I know the previous governor had... Uh, you know, been against the trend in the middle of the country and adopted Obamacare. Uh, so it was very interesting to see that election go that way. Um, I, I don't know, a 5,000 vote margin is pretty hard to swing, uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. What are your thoughts on the results in Mississippi and Virginia? Well, uh, Virginia I'm quite familiar with. I used to live there, uh, and it was a purple state for quite some time that was trending blue. Uh, I don't know the demographics of this specific election, but I know that it was suburban voters in Northern Virginia especially that were swinging things toward Democrats. Uh, So it'd be interesting to look at a county breakdown to see uh, where Democrats made gains. But to take over the state house, I mean, that that just goes to show their appeal is spreading. Uh, And again, I I think it points to repudiation of Trump. He's damaging the Republican brand. Um, All right, so uh, let's uh, move on then. Uh, So another Democrat gone. Uh, This time it is a major one. This one, this time it is former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke. He has withdrawn his candidacy for the presidency. Uh, O'Rourke was a congressman from 2013 to 2019 and 2018 uh, he ran a closely nationally watched la- race uh, for Senate in Texas, losing to better uh, losing to uh, incumbent Ted Cruz by just three points in a state Donald Trump won by a significant margin. Um, uh, O'Rourke. Um, O'Rourke. Uh, O'Rourke uh, ran for president later on. Early polling 
indicated that Beto O'Rourke was in the top three candidates uh, running for the presidency. Uh, one MoveOn.org poll even showed Beto O'Rourke uh, leading uh, all the other candidates, including uh, major candidates like former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, however, since the entry of South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, uh, O'Rourke has seen a, uh, a major decline in polls uh, to a point where he was only averaging around 2% uh, in most national polls. Uh, as a result, O'Rourke announced uh, that he would be dropping out. Omar, what are your thoughts on Beto O'Rourke dropping out of the 2020 presidential race? I, I think it was a mercy killing, you know, finally. <laughs> he, he never managed to move the needle that much on the poll numbers, and I, I think there's a number of other candidates who are below 5% that should probably follow his lead. Uh, he, to his credit, he stuck his neck out there with the hell yes, we'll take your guns remark. I thought that was bold leadership on his part, but it's just not a winning issue for the general election, and it didn't pick up with Democrats either. Um, do you think he's going to run for U.S. Senate? Because he only has a month... Uh, to register left. Do you think he's going to do that? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, he, he needs to get the needed signatures to do it, so he probably won't announce until he has what he needs to do that. Um, I think he could certainly be more helpful there. All right. Well, let's move on, because as one uh, Democratic presidential candidate gets out, another may be getting in. Uh, former New York, New York Mayor uh, Michael Bloomberg uh, has put his name on the Alabama Democratic primary ballot, uh, which uh, indicates that he is running for the presidency. What are your thoughts on uh, Michael Bloomberg potentially running for the presidency on the Democratic line? Well, I am surprised to see him run as a Democrat. He's always described himself as an independent, but to be fair, if you are independent these days, maybe you are <laughs> on that side of the aisle. Uh, I, I, I would say that money talks. Uh, his wealth, I think, is the only reason he can consider entering the race or why anyone pays attention to him. Uh, I Personally, I do admire him. Uh, I don't know if he's someone that will help the Democratic Party win in the general election, because I, I, I don't know if that's the tone the country needs to strike right now, to, especially to defeat Trump. Uh, there, there was a comic I saw come across my Facebook feed that, that showed uh, some other practical centrist entering the race, and it included Mr. Burns and Scrooge McDuck, <laughs> all, all these traditional wealthy villains we know from our childhood cartoons. Uh, and I, I Bloomberg isn't that. I, I think his heart is in the right place, uh, but I... I, I just don't think his entry will be helpful. We'll see what voters have to say about it. Um, how do you think he'll do in the Democratic primary? Uh, do you think he'll get far, or do you think he's got a long way to go? I, I think Andrew Yang's performance is a good indicator of how well Michael Bloomberg might do, <laughs> unless there's some mood among the electorate I'm misreading right now, because uh, Yang is this pro-capitalist moderate, you know, trying to save capitalism with... Um, this bold idea of income redistribution, and uh, it's not getting a lot of traction. I, I, I would like to see it get more traction. I think it's actually what this country needs right now. Uh, it's just in terms of popularity. I, I don't know if, if he'll make it. All right. Well, let's uh, move on then. Uh, so, um, uh, so let's move on to the Alabama Senate race happening in 2020. Um, uh, of course, in 2020, one of the most, if not the most vulnerable Democrat uh, running for re-election is Doug Jones. Uh, he's uh, running in Alabama, a state Donald Trump won by 28 points uh, in 2016. And to make matters worse, he's running the same night Trump is at the top of the ticket. Uh uh, well, one person has just announced that they will uh, be entering the race. One Republican has announced they've been, uh, they will be entering the race to try and challenge Doug Jones. Uh, and that's none other than Jeff Sessions, uh, the former U.S. Uh, Attorney General, who previously held the seat in the United States Senate. 
he held it from 1997 up until 2017. Uh, when Donald Trump appointed him to be U.S. Attorney General, Sessions has announced that he will be running for his old seat. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jeff Sessions uh, announcing his candidacy? I, I guess he needs something to do after being part of the Trump administration. Uh, I'm, I'm not very familiar with Alabama politics, so I don't know uh, which way that state will trend. Um, but if, if Kentucky and Virginia are any indication, Sessions has an uphill battle in front of him. Um, do you think Trump being on the ballot could help? I, I don't know the mood of the electorate in Alabama. Um, I, I know that when they adopt, adopted Trump-like policies in the past, before Trump took power, uh, that they were, their uh, farm workers actually, they, they had a shortage, so they had trouble harvesting what they needed <laughs> uh, to, to get food off, off the fields. Um, so I, I don't know if Alabama learned from that experience or not, or if they're still feeling very Trumpian as a whole. Um, I, I do know that when I've seen Alabama elections in the past, the, the margins of victory for Republicans can be very small. So I, I don't think the, the, the Trump brand is helping Republicans right now. All right. Well, let's move on then. Um, so uh, a 10th Democrat uh, has qualified for the debate stage. Uh, in uh, the November debate, uh, and that's none other than Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, Gabbard became the 10th Democrat to qualify. The debate will be a collaboration between MSNBC and the Washington Post. Uh, Gabbard joins nine other Democrats, including former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, California Senator Kamala Harris, businessman Andrew Yang, uh, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, uh, um, uh, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, and businessman Tom Steyer. She is the 10th amongst these Democrats. What are your thoughts on her qualifying for the next Democratic debate? Uh, my thought is thank you, Hillary Clinton, uh, for elevating her pro profile. Um, she, in an interview, called her out as a Russian agent, and that gave Gabbard an opportunity to fight back on Twitter and, and enter the news cycle in a way that she had not before. And I... I I think without Hillary Clinton's boost, Gabbard would not have qualified like some of these other candidates that have been dropping out. Um, so that that's Hillary's doing. Thank you, Hillary. <laughs> uh, and then Tom Steyer, I'm just mystified by how did he make it? Uh, he, I guess his Facebook hasn't been working. Because last time we talked, he was a nobody. He, he wasn't even making it into the debate. So I don't know what's going on. Um, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that uh, Gabbard qualified? So I, I have mixed feelings about Gabbard. I, I think, again, her heart is in the right place. Uh, I don't know if her foreign policy um, is always aligned with America's best interests. So I can understand why Hillary called her out. Um, I, I think it's important to have more voices in the debate at this point, not fewer. Um, it's still pretty early in the race. But uh, at the same time, I, I do feel like sometimes she says things that can maybe harm people's perceptions of Democrats, even if she can be right on the issue substantively. Uh, she, she doesn't strike me as a top-tier candidate. Of course, I say this, and then her popularity might take off after this. But <laughs> um, I, like, like I said, I have mixed feelings about her, so I'm, I'm pretty ambivalent. All right, then. Let's move on to the next story. Uh, Anila Presley, the Mass or Massachusetts Congresswoman Anila Presley, uh, has announced that she will be endorsing uh, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren for president over Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, this is important because, as uh, if you'll remember, the other members of the quote-unquote squad, which includes New York Congresswoman Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Minnesota Senator Ilhan Omar, 
and Michigan Congresswoman uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, all announced their endorsement of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, Massachusetts Congresswoman Anila Presley has broken from the pact and has said that she will endorse Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, they're, they're independent women. I, I think they were called the squad uh, simply because they were singled out by President Trump for attack and because of their common heritage. Um, you know, what, whatever political beliefs they, they want to espouse, that's certainly their choice. Um, Warren is kind of, uh, I guess, Pepsi to Bernie's Coke, although Bernie's more popular among young voters, so maybe he's the choice of the next generation. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, so let's move on to the next story then. Uh, so the next story, uh, is involving, uh, Joe Biden and Andrew Yang. So, um, uh, Andrew Yang, uh, is expressing interest in potentially being Joe Biden's vice president. In fact, he said he's now claiming that he and Biden discussed the possibility Um, During an event with the Washington Post, a reporter from the Washington Post asked uh, Mr. Yang if he if he didn't win the nomination, would he be interested in potentially being uh, uh, Joe Biden for the uh, former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden's running mate? Uh, Yang said not only was he expressing interest in the possibility, but that he and uh, and Biden had had conversations about the possibility. What are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, I mean, I, I think it's the only way out for Yang and to remain relevant uh, would be an appointment instead of winning an election. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm not sure Biden will choose Yang uh, just because he's not registering on, on these nationwide polls. I, I don't see a strategic reason for, for Biden to pick Yang. Um, I, I guess you can make the argument that it increases the diversity of the ticket. I think he'd be the first Asian American to be nominated for vice president. Um, and then maybe Biden needs a big idea on his ticket to overcome his stodgy, centrist image, uh, which is weighing him down in this campaign. Um, but I, yeah, it, I think it's too soon to say. And I, I think Yang might be floating the rumor to raise his profile uh, just to stay relevant. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on then. So, North Carolina will have a new U.S. House map, uh, in 2020. Um, the North Carolina Supreme Court determined that North Carolina will have to have a new U.S. House map, uh, in 2020, saying that the, uh, current one is unfair. What are your thoughts on this? Well, this has been a very common practice by uh, Republican state houses is to draw the lines in their favor, and uh, they've been pretty aggressive about that. Um, I have been following this issue for a while, uh, so it's good to see uh, at least one southern state admit, hey, you know, this isn't right, and that they're going to do something about it. Um, in California, we have uh, independent uh, district-drawing bodies that are... Uh, composed of the ordinary people, you know, instead of politicians. Uh, so that tries to address the, the partisan nature of district drawing to try to jerry-rig the vote. Um, so it, the, the more that can be done on this issue, the better, whether it's legally or, or through some other kind of reform. People's votes need to count. All right. Uh, well, uh, since we have a little bit of time to talk about this, since we still have time to talk about this, uh, North, former North Carolina Senator Kay Hagan recently died. Uh, Hagan was the, uh, she was Senator from 2009 to 2015. Um, she was, uh, elected the same year Barack Obama was, but ultimately, uh, failed to win re-election. She, uh, to Tom Tillis, uh, in 2014, uh, she was rumored to run again in 2020, but died recently at the age of 66 uh, from cancer. Uh, what are your thoughts on Kay Hagan dying? I, I mean, it's just a tragedy. Um, 66 is a relatively young age to die. Um, and we, I think some of us were hoping that she had more to contribute to uh, the political scene. 
Um, I think she'll be remembered along with other progressive women from the South, and uh, you know, hopefully her legacy inspires others. Um, and also, John Conyers died at the age of 90. Uh, of course, John Conyers was one of the longest-serving members of the U.S. House of Representatives, serving for, for well over 50 years uh, before he eventually resigned uh, in 2017 over sexual uh, assault allegations. Uh, Conyers died recently at the age of 90. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, he was the longest-serving African-American senator uh, or congressperson, excuse me. Um, I mean, I, I don't know a lot about his career. I heard a lot of kind words at his funeral. Uh, and again, I, I hope he can be an inspiration to others. All right. Um, so uh, let's move on to the next story. Uh, so the next story uh, is uh, involving... Um, uh, the current impeachment uh, uh, inquiry. Uh, so uh, since the last time uh, we talked about news on this episode, um, there was uh, the House recently passed uh, a resolution to continue the impeachment inquiry. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, there was an abuse of power that, that should be investigated. So I, I hope that's not a, a controversial issue to continue the investigation. Uh, a, a vote for impeachment investigations is not required. It was something that Trump asked for, and he has it now. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit sad to see partisan politics dominate the investigation this early. Uh, it, generally, these investigations have been conducted in private to avoid partisan politics tainting the process. So it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. I know Republicans have been de demanding a certain line of inquiry that benefits the president, uh, countering these abuse of power charges. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm glad the vote passed. It was up in the air for a little bit. Uh, all right. Uh, any other stories you uh, wanted to talk about? Oh, I do have another story here. Okay, sorry. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so recently, uh, Kamala Harris uh, has been closing down uh, uh, sites in uh, in uh, New Hampshire, uh, or closing down campaign headquarters in New Hampshire, uh, indicating that she could be running out of money and that her presidential campaign could be coming to an end. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, kind of like Beto O'Rourke, I, I think she's one of these low-percentage candidates that, that kind of need to get out of the race sooner than later if they're not registering. She had an early spike, but then lost it after she had to clarify her position. So I, I think that's a pretty clear symbol. That's not what people are looking for right now. Um, also, uh, Tom Sire got in trouble because members of his campaign uh, were attempting to buy endorsements for his campaign. Sire himself ultimately fired these candidates. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I remember there was a similar controversy with uh, the Bernie campaign in 2016, and the outrage was a lot higher, I suspect because of Bernie's political orientation. <laughs> when it's a centrist candidate, it's less of a big deal. Uh, so I, I, that was just interesting for me to see. Uh, any other stories you wanted to talk about? Uh, well, yeah, I guess the other interesting thing was since... Uh, Warren has basically become the front runner. Uh, there's been a lot more public conversation about her proposed wealth tax. Uh, I, I think 2% of billionaires wealth or something like that. Uh, and then kind of the level of condemnation it's gotten from uh, Chase CEO, Jamie Dimon, and then also Bill Gates were uh, and, and uh, Elizabeth were trading tweets back and forth on Twitter. I, I think Bill Gates was like worrying about how he would live on several billion dollars. So that was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, that, that's one of the more interesting things to come out of the race in recent weeks. Um, who, who at this point do you think is going to win the nomination? It's still very hard to say. Uh, I, I think I, I'm not going to make any predictions until Iowa and New Hampshire weigh in, uh, because those states have surprised us in the past. Um, I, I do know that Bernie, uh, Warren and Biden are all running very strong campaigns. 
uh, and there is also some cheerleading by the media on some of the lesser candidates that represent more centrist positions. Uh, so if, if one of those manages to surge, you know, we'll, we'll have a different race. Um, but I, I think it is going to be one of those three, Bernie, Warren, or Biden. Um, now, some people have been saying, uh, or right now, Joe Biden has been saying that he's, uh, there have been some talk that he might be expecting to lose Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, but that he's hoping uh, a, a strong victory in South Carolina can catapult him to victory. Do you think that that's a smart uh, move? It's a smart thing for him to say. I, I think as a front runner, you always want to downplay your expectations so that if you come in ahead of them, it looks good for your campaign. And if it, you come in a little bit below, it's less harmful. So they're, they're just trying to drive the narrative there. A very classic political strategy. Um, and it, it lets him stay in the race if he doesn't win those traditional states that determine the bellwether for the nation. Do you think that if he doesn't win South Carolina by a big margin, that could be uh, harmful for his, the rest of his chances? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think South Carolina is where people start to look for results. Uh, I, I think it has affected other campaigns in the past, if I recall. I, I don't remember exactly. Uh, but it is a pretty pivotal state. So I, I think they're right to pin their hopes on that. Uh, I don't know if South Carolina will come through for them, but uh, we'll see. Um, now, uh, Elizabeth Warren has been seeing gains. Um, how sit now, some some people have pointed out that since um, the beginning of at the at the beginning of the year, uh, when Biden first got in, uh, the real clear politics average was 29% for him, and right now I believe it's 27%. Um, so uh, do you think that uh, Elizabeth Warren's gains could be big gains? Uh, it, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to say. I, I think her debate performance definitely helped her. So she is considered one of the front runners now, along with Biden, which is a major accomplishment for her in and of itself, because she didn't always start out as having that status. Um, it, it just, it really depends on, I, I guess, what voters are looking for. And I, I do think in this campaign, I think we have more voters hungry for a more progressive message than what Biden is offering. Um, so I, I, I do think we'll see voters uh, consolidate around one of those options. Uh, so it might be... There's been some talks that if uh, Warren were to get the nomination, she could, uh, she, or she's been talking with Andrew Gillum about potentially making him uh, her running mate. Do you think that that's a smart idea? Um, I mean, he doesn't have a very high national profile, if I recall. Um, I mean, it, again, it, it kind of like the Andrew Yang rumor for Biden. I, I think there's the diversity argument. Um, but I, I don't know how much it would actually actually help her. I, I think it does provide geographic balance. Uh, she is from Massachusetts, and Massachusetts liberals do have a hard time with national appeal. Uh, so I, I think Warren will have to look for that in a nominee. Uh, I don't know if Andrew Gillum is the person to do that. We'll see. All right. Anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, that's all I have. All right. Thank you again for joining us, uh, Omar. Before you leave, do you want to tell people where you can be found? Uh, sure. I, I run the Political Window news feed on Facebook and Twitter. It's P-O-L-W-N-D-W. Uh, just a bunch of news sources from around the world to, to keep people in the loop on what's going on. All right. Thank you again for joining me, sir. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Till next time. You too. Bye. The president's racist rhetoric should be enough grounds for everybody in this country to vote him out of office. He is the sitting Democratic senator from Colorado. He was considered to be Barack Obama's education secretary. He almost turned down his own Senate seat, but now wants to be president. Who is Michael Bennett, one of two Colorado Democrats seeking the presidency? The candidates keep America great. Their story. Yeah, you're always when you're young, you're always patted on the head and told that you're the future. But I'm interested in what you can bring to the present. 
and their fight for the White House. I'm the most progressive record of anybody running. If you look at Joe's record and you look at my record, I don't think there's much question about who's more progressive. Presidential Profiles 2020. How we could actually make this government work, not just for a thin slice at the top, but make it work for everyone else. I think that, sure, if people want to specula speculate about running mates, I encourage that, because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate as vice president. Michael Ferrand Bennett was born on the 28th of November, 1964 in New Delhi, India. The son of Sasan and Douglas, his father worked for then U.S. Ambassador to India Chester Bowles. His father was Christian while his mother was a Jewish Holocaust survivor from Poland. His grandfather worked for President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Bennett's father would go on to be an aide to U.S. Vice President Hubert Humphrey. President Jimmy Carter asked Bennett's father to head the United States Agency for International Development. He would later serve as CEO of NPR and later Assistant Secretary of State for International Organization Affairs. Bennett himself would go on to attend Harvard. In the late 1980s, Bennett would become an aide to Ohio Governor Dick Celeste before pursuing a legal career. He later worked for White House counsel Lloyd Cutler. After this, Bennett pursued a career in business, working for Regal Cinema and eventually joining the Anschutz Corporation where he met John Hickenlooper, a man running for mayor of Denver, Colorado. Bennett clarked for his successful campaign and served as his chief of staff for two years. Hickenlooper would go on to serve as governor of Colorado for eight years. He is currently Bennett's opponent in the 2020 Democratic primary for U.S. President. Bennett married Susan Daggett in 1997. They have three children together. Bennett was appointed superintendent of Denver Public Schools in 2005. In 2008, he worked on the presidential campaign of then-Illinois Senator Barack Obama. Bennett was considered to be Barack Obama's education secretary, though Arne Duncan was eventually selected for that role. It was announced in early 2009 that Colorado Senator Ken Salazar would be appointed to U.S. Interior Secretary. With the vacancy now open, Colorado Governor Bill Ritter appointed Bennett to Salazar's seat. Seen this ad for Ken Buck? It's courtesy of George Bush's political strategist, Karl Rove. He's actually attacking Michael Bennett for votes to fund our troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. Reject the false attacks. Michael Bennett's a businessman who saved jobs. In his year in the Senate, he's fought for tax cuts for the middle class and helped pass tax cuts for small businesses so they can create jobs. Common sense, not politics. I'm Michael Bennett, and I approve this message. Bennett would now have to win a full term to retain Salazar's seat. Former Democratic Speaker of the Colorado House of Representatives Andrew Romanoff challenged Bennett in a primary. The race became extremely competitive, but Bennett benefited from an endorsement from President Obama. In spite of a bruising primary, Bennett defeated Romanoff by a 54 to 46% margin. In the general election, however, Bennett faced a formidable foe in Republican Ken Buck. A strong Republican current in 2010 hurt Bennett's chances of winning, with most polls indicating satisfying results for Buck. In spite of this, Bennett won by a 48 to 46 percent margin. Bennett maintained a moderate record in the U.S. Senate, having a mixed record on guns whilst opposing Medicare for all. However, he takes more liberal views on Obamacare and abortion. In 2016, he ran for re-election, challenging Republican Daryl Glenn. The race proved to be competitive yet again. However, as the race drew closer, Bennett saw an uptick in polling. He beat Glenn by a 50-44% margin. Bennett continued to serve until 2019, 
when he announced he'd be running for the presidency in 2020. Now, he hopes to be America's 46th president. So join me if you want to get to work. It's time to build the future. For more Presidential Profiles 2020, keep it right here on Politics Weekly. Okay, so first of all, can I get your name and your major? Uh, Daniel Ramirez, um, liberal arts right now. Okay, so Daniel Ramirez. Is this how you spell it? Yeah. And then liberal arts, you said? Okay. Um, uh, so first of all, are you familiar with the, uh, current controversy involving Congresswoman Katie Hill? No. So, uh, recently Katie Hill was a congresswoman from California, and she recently had to resign because there were pictures leaked of her that revealed not only did she have a, uh, a relationship with her staffer, which is against ethics rules in the House, but she was all, there were also nude photos taken of her mm -hmm. that were released. One of them showed she had like a Nazi tattoo on, wow. and then others were just like nude photos, and she had like, and there were like nude photos of her having threesomes with people, and mm -hmm. uh, so she ended up having to resign. Uh, because of that, because the Democratic-led House, she's a Democrat, but the Democrats in the House started an investigation. So to stop the investigation from happening, she announced she would resign, even though she's, uh, she just got in this January uh, for the first time. So she's only been in for a few months, but now she's trying to argue that there's some sort of double standard, that this is my private matter. Um, and, uh, that, uh, that this wouldn't have happened if this were, if this were a male congressman, although some people have disagreed with that and said, well, no, that's not true. There have been other cases when, uh, male congressmen have had relationships with their, uh, staffers and they've been forced to resign as well. Resign as well. Uh, what are your thoughts just based off of that? Um... I think it's a tricky subject. I think uh, people's private lives should be private, but I feel like also what happens in private speaks for who you are, who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if like things were contradicting her beliefs and her private life, I don't understand that. But whatever you do behind closed doors is your business. So mm -hmm. I think I'm leaning to more towards that. Like her mm -hmm. private life is a private life. As far as it being a whole sexist thing, I honestly I don't know. Like, yeah. Um, I think certain society standings are like double uh, double standards stuff like that are real and but um, I think everybody has their own sets of challenges. Like black people have to do certain things, females have to do certain things, white people have to do certain things. So I think it's just um, I think it's a whole tricky tricky thing. But I'm more so leaning towards the uh, uh, certain things that people's private lives should be kept private. Like why do people? feel the need to go digging into other people's private lives in order to get dirt on them to make them resign or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then people got a question on where these photos came from. They were leaked yeah. from who? Yeah. What was the motive of them being leaked? Just to ruin somebody? Just yeah. why are you affecting people's lives this way? And like it, it speaks more on whoever leaked the photos more than it does her actually. Mm -hmm. Like if you wanna do have three sons or whatnot, that's your business. Yeah. That's nobody else's business. But it when people volunteer knowledge and that makes it their business. But then now it's just known and they're like Oh, well, this is our congresswoman. Like, I'm pretty sure every day people wouldn't care if me or you were having threesomes with two other people, mm -hmm. but they do because this is our congresswoman. They set her at the highest standard when everybody, and then everybody's just people. Yeah. That's what I think about that. Um, now, some people are saying, or, or some people are saying, oh, well, this is a bad sign for people in the future that hope to run for politics because now we live in an information age. Mm -hmm. If you. Uh, run for Congress now. Somebody's gonna find something, some picture you took that uh, maybe looked embarrassing or maybe didn't look so flattering from like 20 years ago. Uh, uh, do you uh, do you agree with that? Not really. I feel like everybody makes mistakes. Mm -hmm. Everybody goes through growth, grow, growth. Mm -hmm. And and that just speaks for itself. We didn't come out the womb knowing what we know. We had to go through trials and tribulations as people. 
doing that, I feel like they think, I feel like some people expect everybody to be perfect when there's nobody perfect. So mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to make mistakes or something because I want to run for office or because I want to be in a position of power. If anything, my mistakes and being the fact that I still want to do, like say somebody still wants to run for office or something, their mistakes and still wanting to do that speaks for them as a person. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel on that. I don't, I don't think it's right. Um, now, because she resigned early, they have to have a special election next year before they have the election in November, which is when they have all the other elections. Mm-hmm. Like the presidential election is going to be in November next, next year. year yeah. Senate governors, or not here, the governors, but in Montana and North Dakota and some states that have governor races. But before that, because she resigned, they have to have a separate special election early in the year. Um, uh, and right now, that's becoming uh, pretty competitive. Uh, Steve Knight, uh, the Republican congressman who she beat, is running again for his old seat. Mm. Uh, George Papadopoulos, who uh, was he, he made headlines during the, uh, the Russia scandal when that was a big thing. Um, he uh, worked for the Trump campaign. He's uh, running for that seat. And then on the Democratic side, uh, Cenk Uger, the, uh, he's well known for being the CEO and founder of the Young Turks. He's one of the main hosts on the Young Turks. Uh, he's running for that seat. Um, do you think that there's a chance that that seat could flip or it could stay in Democratic hands? I think there's a chance that it could stay in Democratic hands. I think so. That's just my thoughts on it. I'm not really too um, keen on uh, pop and a lot of the people, but I think it's a chance for anything, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Thank you, sir. No problem. Okay. First of all, can I get your name and your major? Uh, Stephen Grant. S-T-E-P-H-E-N. G-R-A-N-T. And my major is in computer science. Okay. Um, so, uh, first of all, my first question is, are you familiar with the Katie Hill, the Congresswoman Katie Hill Congress? So, Katie Hill was a congresswoman from California. She beat the incumbent Republican and she got sworn in at the beginning of the year. Uh, but she had to resign after just being in office for a few months because of a photo that came out that showed she was in a relationship with not just her husband, but also her staffer. Um, and it also showed that she had like a Nazi tattoo on. Um, and there were also new photos of her that came out. Um, just really unflattering photos that were leaked to the press, to the public. Um, and then um, there were also, uh, but, uh, but the House, the, the House of Representatives, even though it is controlled by the Democrats right now, they did launch an ethics investigation into Katie Hill's behavior because Katie Hill's behavior, um, they're saying that Katie Hill's behavior violates uh, ethics, uh, ethics rules in the House that say you can't have a relationship with a staffer. Uh, so uh, that uh, was not good for Katie Hill. So Katie Hill had to resign. So now Katie Hill is out of office. But she's claiming that she resigned because of a double standard. She resigned because she, uh, or she resigned because uh, if this were a man, it never would have happened, uh, and whatnot. Now, other people are arguing, well, that's not true. Uh, there have been men that have had relationships with their staffers, and they've uh, been forced to resign. Uh, what are your thoughts? What do you make of that, just uh, off the, all that information? Uh, I think her resigning was the right move, especially from the Democratic Party, if they influenced that decision because it reflects poorly upon them, all that leaked information. Yeah. Uh, I think her claiming a double standard, if none really exists, like you just said, is just a poor attempt at her to save face, try to keep a little bit of her reputation, and was wrong on her part. Uh, what do you think this says about the information age in 2019? Like, the idea that 
uh, people are able to get this information about uh, this type of stuff in 2019. What do you think that says? Uh, I think on one part it could be a dangerous precedent, but on the other part it helps keep politicians, uh, their motives, their personal lives somewhat clearer to us, which could be a, a good thing, definitely. Especially if she had some kind of Nazi tattoo, like you said. Then that is definitely a red flag for us as the voting bloc. It, it's important for us to know our politicians in a way like that. Um, now, uh, do you think that this could be bad news for politicians uh, hoping to, uh, or future politicians, or people hoping to run for office that may have taken unflattering photos or may have said unflattering things in the past? Uh, certainly, yeah. I mean, it, it, in terms of that, it, it, they should definitely be worried, right? Especially if they know that that kind of behavior has happened before. And again, that would probably be good for us, because you don't want to vote for someone with promising ideals who can win you over. They're charming, but in reality, they're they're a snake. They're a bad person. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the uh, the last question I had, uh, because this uh, is because she resigned uh, before her her term was up. They have to have a special election in California. Um, right now, the field is getting really large in terms of the candidates. On the Republican side, you have Steve Knight, the man who was the former congressman for that seat, running again for, to try and get his old seat back. Uh, and then you also have um, uh, uh, George Papadopoulos. He became famous during the Russia scandal. He was Trump's uh, campaign manager. He's running for that seat. And then on the Democratic side, uh, George Papadopoulos, uh, not George Papadopoulos, sorry, Cenk Uger. Cenk Uger is the host of the Young Turks. He is running for that seat as well. Um, do, you, uh, do you think that there's any chance Republicans get that seat back, or do you think it's likely to stay in Democratic hands? Um, well, I know large parts of California that are more rural tend to vote Republican. So if her district was more rural, there's a large chance, especially given the controversy around a Democratic figure like that. So there's probably a, good, a decent chance, I'd say. All right. Thank you, sir.